Thank you, Gary. And guys, I really appreciate it. It's amazing. We have much to be glad about, don't we? Our debts are forgiven. The Lord, by His grace, did that on the cross. And how grateful we each should be because of the, the wonderful thought of being debt-free in His presence and in His uh, arms, being a loving Lord and Savior because of what He's done. We have much to be glad about. And, and I tell you what, we have to also be glad because week in and week out, Gary does an amazing job, whether it's with a, a quartet like he's had or whether it's a choir, you bet, orchestra. Week in and week out, he just continues to bring us before the throne, and I am so thankful for that. Uh, today, Paul is sitting down here in front. He's taking a day off. Look at him. He just looks healthier, doesn't he? <laughs> no, he has been teaching a doctorate of ministries class all week, and so I think he's just plum fuzzled out. Maybe that's it. But uh, anyway, I am, I'm, I'm glad he is because it gives me an opportunity to get to preach this morning, and so I look forward to that opportunity. And as you know, we've been making our way through the Gospel of Matthew. I hope you've been going through the Gospel of Matthew. It's an amazing book. What a great time to be able to study and to see how the Lord has been moving in, in our world to bring about the opportunity that we have as believers. And so we're going to be continuing to look through that. And so as you have your Bibles, if you would... Open them to the, the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. That's where we're going to be today. And, and just to let you know a little bit about where we are, uh, we've been making our way through the Galilean ministry. And just to, to bring you up to speed, Jesus has already, as you know, as we've been going through this, has been working with the multitudes of people. He's been ministering to them. As we know, he's been teaching all along the way. He has been encouraging them. He has healed diseases. He has been able to um, raise the dead. He's, he's driven out demons. He's done all of these sorts of things. And every time it seems like we turn around, we find him, he has compassion on the people. And that's what his desire is, to bless these people. Yet, just know that as of this point on, what he is doing is he is focusing on the cross. That's the focus of Jesus. He is looking toward the cross. We saw last week in our uh, life group time that he is uh, already preparing his disciples for what's taking place. And he says, we're going to be going to Jerusalem. And when we're there, we're going to suffer. I'm going to suffer at the hands of the, the church leaders and be crucified. And I'll be buried, but I'll be raised again on the third day. And it says that he started teaching them and he's preparing them. And the, the miracles that he even did at this point were all for the purpose of bringing these disciples up to speed so that he knows they don't understand it, but he knows that what's about to take place is he's going to be departing, and he's going to leave them. And, and the, the whole Christian movement and the church is going to be on their shoulders, and so he's wanting to make sure that they are aware of that and that they're ready for it. And so that's the focus of Jesus at this point. And what you're going to be looking at in the life group time today is the, the transfiguration and what a powerful passage of Scripture that is when you consider the transfiguration and what that means. Not only is Jesus preparing the disciples for his departure in the cross, but he's also preparing himself. And that's what the transfiguration is about, being able to be there in the glory of God and, and to have Moses and Elijah there preparing him uh, for what's about to take place. And so what we're going to be looking at today is as Jesus, Peter, James, and John descend from that mountain and they're coming back 
to the other disciples. And so look with me beginning in the 14th verse of chapter 17. And by the way, as we start to do this, keep your thumb in that place because I'm going to try to allow the gospel of Matthew to preach the sermon today. We're going to be looking there, so I'll be just jumping back and forth in this gospel to kind of hopefully be able to, to hold on to what Jesus is actually trying to say at this time. But it says they have just come from the transfiguration, and it says, And when they reached the crowd, a man approached and knelt down before him. Lord, he said, have mercy on my son, because he has seizures and suffers severely. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Well, do you get the picture? Jesus has been on the Mount of Transfiguration. What a glorious time he's had. And now as he descends from that mountain, he comes to the crowd. Now, if you look at Mark's account of, the God, uh, Mark's account of this passage of Scripture, what you'll see is as Jesus descends from the mountain, the crowd is there, scribes are there that have come, and they're debating and arguing with um, the disciples that are there. And, and it gives a little bit more of a description of what actually is taking place in this young boy's life because it not only says that he falls into the water and he falls into the fire, but it also goes on to say that he, he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth. He becomes rigid. Uh, it, it tells that he's got a bad situation in his life. Many times we'll talk about that as being epilepsy, but he's talking about this demon that has control of him and he's, he's just wearing him down and trying to kill him. And so this is the situation that Jesus descends into. He comes into this thought of these people gathered around and outside of, of them steps forward a man and he says, would you please have mercy on my son? Desperate father coming to him. But did you see what happens? He said, I brought him to your disciples, but your disciples couldn't do anything. They couldn't heal him. They couldn't help in that regard. And so he said, I'm now bringing him to you. Well, that's the failure on the part of the disciples. They've been unable to heal this boy. Well, now Jesus gets very frustrated. Let me read what he says at that point because his response is, is amazing when you start thinking of it because he says, Jesus replied, you unbelieving and rebellious generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? That's a pretty powerful response on Jesus's part and if you're not careful you'll be caught unaware of Jesus this is his human side coming out and his response at the result of the disciples being unable to cast out this demon is that he says you unbelieving generation how long do I have to put up with you what he does is it goes on to say then he says bring him here and and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and from that mo moment on the boy was healed but there's great frustration on Jesus' part. Because after all, consider, he's been working with these men for three years. He's been trying to invest his life into them. He's been trying to teach them in all these private moments along the way. But yet also, they've heard him teach the multitudes. And as a result of that, he's trying to teach them and prepare them for what's ahead. And they've witnessed him being able to heal the sick. To raise the dead. He's fed the multitudes time and time again. He's revealing who he is. And as I mentioned earlier, he's even now to this point of trying to stress to them what is about to take place. And yet he looks at him and says, you still don't get it. 
the human side of Jesus, knowing that time is short, and yet these nine disciples that were left here with the crowd were unable to bring about any kind of relief for this man's son. And so Jesus, out of the compassion again of his heart, says, bring him to me. He rebukes the demon, casts it out, and as a result, then the boy is healed. But there has to be great frustration on Jesus' part because he's looking forward. And yet these men that he's invested his life in, those that are his followers, his disciples, still have not grasped what's going on. I'm going to bring you to the 10th chapter of Mark. And I want you to re- listen to me as I read this first verse. It says, Summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. And if you jump over to uh, verse 7 and 8, it says, As you go, announce this. The kingdom of heaven is, has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, and drive out the demons. Do you see that in the 10th chapter... Jesus has already given the disciples the authority, the power to do exactly what they couldn't do in the 17th chapter. They had an opportunity to go out, and they did. They did heal sick. They did cast out demons. But something's happened between the 10th chapter and the 17th chapter. And we can only guess that perhaps what might have happened is they've gotten so caught up in the ability to do this They've, they've done it routinely that all of a sudden there's no significance. There's perhaps a dependency upon themselves. There may, may be that thought of, uh, you know, that they're doing this by their giftedness and their abilities. But whatever happens, I know that they've gone from the 10th chapter of Jesus saying, I'm giving you authority over all the demons, all the sickness. You can even raise the dead. And at the same time, here in the 17th chapter, They're unable to do it. Again, the frustration that Jesus feels because these are his followers, those that have, he's had had this opportunity to invest in them and he is leaving the church in their hands. But I want you to see something very interesting when you see, and this is what I want to focus on this morning, faith that is growing faith because it says in verse 20, because of your little faith, he told them, for, excuse me, let me back up to 19. It says, then the disciples approached Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we drive them out? They didn't ask him, how did you do that? They just said, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus' response, because of your little faith, he told them. Your little faith. Because of your little faith. Now, they've been with him for three years observing him. They've had amazing experiences in what they've been able to do and to hear and to observe. And yet, he looks at them, his followers, after all he's done, and he says, you of little faith, that's why you couldn't do it, because of your little faith. Well, a lot of times we talk about it doesn't matter what type of faith you have. Does, does Jesus really care what size your faith is? Well, let me back up to the very beginning of this in the sixth chapter of of the gospel of Matthew. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and there's great discussion as to uh, what we will, and and anxiety over what we will eat, and what we will wear, and what we will drink, and, and what Jesus ends up saying in the sixth chapter, beginning in verse 30, it says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little 
faith. He's talking to these followers of his and saying, you're anxious because of little faith. But if you go over to the eighth chapter, look in verse eight. We know the story that Jesus has got the disciples into the boat and they're crossing over the sea. And as they're on the sea, the, the storm comes up, which was not unusual. The wave starts crashing onto the boat uh, and, and it starts being swamped and the disciples are there in the boat with him. And as a result, they become very, very fearful. And in so doing, what they do is they wake him up. And now this is in the eighth chapter, beginning in verse 26. But he said to them, why are you fearful? You of little faith. Again, Jesus is stating that they're not only anxious because of faith, they're fearful because of their little faith. Again, if you'll look then in verse, excuse me, in chapter 14. In chapter 14, what happens, we know the story that Jesus has just taught the multitudes. He's, he's uh, sent his disciples across the lake in, in the boat, and he says, I will meet you on the other side. And as they start rowing, another storm hits. Jesus is not in the boat with them this time. And as they're rowing and trying to fight the wind and, and make their way across the lake, what ends up happening is they become concerned again, and Jesus comes walking on the water. Now, we know this story. It's, it's a great experience that the disciples had because they see Jesus and they're, they're alarmed and they say, well, are you a ghost? And Jesus says, no, it's me. And Peter, you know, Peter, he says, well, if it's really you, then allow me to come out and walk on the water with you and to you. And Jesus simply says, come. And we know that Peter steps out of the boat. And as he starts walking toward Jesus, he is walking on the water. One of two people that has ever been able to walk on water, Jesus and Peter. And as he's walking on the water, all of a sudden, he starts feeling the waves, sensing the wind, feels the spray of the, the waves that are there. And as a result, he looks around him to see his situation. And as he does, he begins to sink. And as he begins to sink, he looks to Jesus and says, help me. And what Jesus does is he reaches down and grabs him. And as he does, he pulls him up. And in verse 29, he said, come, he said, and climbing into the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind and he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You of little faith, why did you doubt? Let me jump to the 16th chapter of Matthew. It's kind of like a Bible drill this morning. I hope you're staying with me. But in the 16th chapter, what's taken place is Jesus has already fed the 5,000. He's already fed the 4,000. And now he's concerned and still trying to teach and encourage his, his disciples. And, and as he does, they look at him and in verse 7 of the 16th chapter, they say, and they discussed among themselves, we didn't bring any bread. <laughs> we didn't bring any bread and aware of this Jesus said you of little faith you of little faith why are you discussing among yourselves that you don't have any bread don't you understand what I did don't you remember the loaves of the 5,000 and in the 4,000 again he is talking to these disciples and letting them know of their little faith and how that is a discouragement to him we come to the 17th chapter and we've already talked about it I just read it they said why couldn't we cast out this demon 
And he says, because of your little faith. Apparently, the size of your faith makes a big difference to Jesus. He's not content with little faith. He's invested his life into these disciples. He's trying to draw them into a, a position of being prepared to take the church and to move it forward. And yet they are still stuck with little faith. I pray that Jesus doesn't look at me nor you and say, you of little faith. How long do I have to be with you? How long do I have to walk alongside you? How long do I have to show myself faithful over and over and over again and you still doubt? You're still anxious. You're still fearful. You're still unable to do what I've equipped you to do because of your little faith. We as believers need to have great faith. We as believers need to have a great confidence in knowing who the Lord is and there's a way to get that. But I want us to go back then to the eighth chapter of Matthew again and the story there is a story that you're probably very familiar with a centurion which is a Gentile a Roman centurion comes to Jesus and I want to read it real quickly it says in beginning in verse 5 it says when he entered Capernaum a centurion came to him pleading with him Lord my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony Jesus's response I will come and heal him he told him but now listen to this centurion. Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be cured. And then he goes on to say, because I understand authority. I'm a man that has authority and I'm a man that's under authority. And he says, I understand what authority means. And he says, I'm not even worthy to have you come under my roof. Just say the word. If you will just say the word, I know that my servant will be healed. Verse 10, hearing this, Jesus was amazed. Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, I assure you, I have not found faith. I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I've never found anyone in Israel to have so great faith of faith. That's quite a contrast with his own disciples, isn't it? You of little faith. He says it five times. You of little faith. You of little faith. But then he comes to a Gentile and he sees a man of great faith. Paul last week was, was preaching and he was talking about the Gentile woman. You remember that, that came to Jesus. And when she did, it's in the, the 15th chapter of Matthew, beginning in verse 21. And Jesus was there and she came to him. And we know that what she was trying to do is have Jesus heal and, and deal with her daughter. And Jesus, if you recall, as Paul was preaching last week, he said the first thing she, he, Jesus did was ignore her. But then he ends up, because of her persistence, he ended up saying, isn't it, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And as he so well brought out, he said, yes, it is, was her response. Yes, it is. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus responded, Woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. From that moment on, a daughter was healed. You see, it's amazing that, that uh, he recognized in her a woman of great faith. 
I think what Jesus is trying to teach us here is faith matters, and the size of our faith is even very vitally important. He looks at his disciples and says, you have little faith. But he looks at these Gentiles and says, I've never seen faith as great as yours. He says that repeatedly. But then look what else Jesus says. I'm back in the, the uh, 17th chapter again. And look what he says, in, beginning in verse 20. Because of your little faith, he said, for I assure you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain to move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, Jesus uses a very common phrase there that is... Uh, Back in that day was a phrase that was used oftentimes talking about mustard seed faith and moving a mountain. And he says, you know, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to the mountain to move and it would move. And the idea of, of the mountain is something that's very, very difficult. And the thought of uprooting a mountain and making it move is a huge difficulty to overcome. If, if, but if the Lord requests for you to do that, you would be able to do that because he would equip you to do it. But he talks about mustard seed faith. And he said, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, get up and move, and it would move. Well, I've heard sermons over and over. You probably have too. I've heard Sunday school lessons and devotionals that talk about the mustard seed faith. And, and if you look at what a mustard seed is, we know it's a very, very tiny seed. And, and I've heard this mentioned so many times that it says, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, then you can move mountains. And so the thought is not the size of your faith, but it's what your faith is attached to, being Jesus. And may I say that preaches well. That's exciting. That's a, that's a great thing to think that I could have and be content with small faith. And if I do, I can still accomplish great things for the Lord. But we have to understand that's not what Jesus is saying at this point. He's talking about a mustard seed Go with me to the 13th chapter of Matthew and begin with verse 31. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed it in the field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the vegetables and becomes a tree so that the birds can, of the sky can come and nest in its branches. You see, what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the mustard seed, he's not saying that you need to have small faith, little faith, and by your little faith, you'll be able to do great things. That's not what Jesus is talking about in this 17th chapter. He uses that term mustard seed going back, and he defines what he means by that in the 13th chapter, where he says, you take that small faith that you have, but you plant it, and as it nurtures, it starts to grow. And as that faith grows, the mustard seed, begin, being one to two millimeters in size, ends up being 20 to 30 feet tall, a bush that even the birds can come and nest in. And so his point there is mustard seed faith is a growing faith. It's a faith that does not stay stagnant. It does not stay small. He never intended our faith to be a small faith. That's why five times he says, you of little faith. You of little faith, your faith should be great, especially by this time after all I've invested into you. And yet your faith is so small. He, he condemns their small faith, but he commends the great faith of the two Gentiles that we talked about. 
Listen, we need to be growing in our faith. If, if you've been a believer a long time like I have, I definitely do not want to hear Jesus say, oh, you of small faith. I need to be growing in my faith. I need to be tested in my faith. I need to be improving. And just like that mustard seed starting small, it needs to grow and grow to be 20, 30 feet tall, allowing the birds to come and nest in it. That's what he's saying. Let me jump over. I'm out of the, the book of Matthew here for a moment. Go with me to Hebrews, if you would. Hebrews, the 11th and 12th chapter, uh, because I want to, to close with this thought. Jesus is saying, the size of your faith definitely matters. Jesus was encouraging them to have a, a living faith, a vibrant faith, a growing faith. And as so, he has the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Now, if you know that, that's commonly known as the Hall of Faith because he starts listing those that demonstrated great faith. He says, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Moses. And he goes right on down the line expressing these people that lived with great faith and he commends them for doing it. And so I have to ask myself, how do you go from being small in your faith to be a person of little faith that is anxious, that's fearful, that's doubtful, that's unable to do what the, the Lord's called me to do simply because my faith is small? How do I go to that, from that to being a person of great faith as he commends? Well, look in the 12th chapter of Hebrews. These words... He's just finished the, the hall of faith, and he says, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us and run with endurance. He's saying if we're in this race and we're running, we need to get rid of all the things that weight us down, that dis distract us and that disturb us. Because he said the, the point of what I'm trying to do is to teach you to run and win the race. And so he says, you get rid of anything that is, is a distraction to you. But he goes on then to say, verse 2, keeping your eyes on Jesus. That's what I want us to hear today. How does our faith grow? It's by keeping our eyes on Jesus. It says, the source and perfecter of our faith. How do we move from little faith, being condemned by Jesus, to great faith, being commended by Jesus? By fixing our eyes on him. Our focus, our motivation, our inspiration, our desire is to be pleasing to him. And the only way we can do that is by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. That means he's taking it to a, the right conclusion He's trying to get us to grow our faith as we move in our life with him. So he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Get rid of anything and everything else that would be a distraction to you. He goes on in verse 3. He says, for consider him. Consider him. Dwell on him. Consider what he's done in your life, how he's continued to, to bless, provide, protect. Even in difficult and, and trying times, he is still faithful to be there. And so he says, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against him himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. The way that we grow our faith 
is to fix our eyes on Jesus, knowing he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. We need to consider him, what he's done. That's why Jesus was trying to do all that he did for these disciples, so that their little faith would become great faith. Let me encourage you today. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. Call on him. The things of this world, let them start sliding away. We still have to live in this world. We still have to deal with the struggles, the hardships, the difficulties that we find ourselves in. But we don't want to start looking as Peter did when he stepped out of the boat and felt the waves and the wind and start looking away from Jesus because he says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, and consider all that he's done because Jesus has just got through telling them, he says, because what's going to happen is I'm going to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the religious, religious leaders, and at that point I'm going to be killed, I'll be buried, but wait, he says, because I will rise again. We have a risen Savior. We need to fix our eyes on him because he even defeated death on our behalf. What a blessing. What a gift. Be glad. We have much to be glad about. Don't allow the Lord to face you and say, you of little faith. Be bold in our lives. Be bold in our commitments. Be the person God's created us to do we, to be because we can do what he's commanded us to do if we will trust him. Would you pray with me? Father, I am so grateful for your word. I'm so thankful that we can learn from it because, Lord, we are not to be content being people of little faith. We're not supposed to be people that are anxious, fearful, doubtful, unable to do what you've called us to do, but instead, Lord, you've said that we should be people of growing, living, vibrant faith. So, Lord, I pray that we will be so. Lord, would you forgive us when we fail you? But instead, Lord, help us to see you at work. Let us not be entangled by so many things around us. But instead, Lord, let us fix our eyes on you. We have much to be thankful for, much to be glad about. But only as we are growing in our faith. So, Lord, bless, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.